Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 68. Chris, buongiorno. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, except for this week was kind of characterized by very dry, boring machine learning lectures. <laughs> so mm. I am kind of worn down from that. But other, otherwise, doing all right. I prefer my machine learning lectures to be wet and juicy. Okay. <laughs> what uh, what were you learning that was so dry and boring? Yeah, it's just a lot of the math behind something called expect expectation maximization, um, which is like, so if you have variables that uh, can follow a Gaussian, right? So they have like a mean and a variance, and you want to do things with more than one of those variables, so multivariate, multivariate uh, expectations, uh, like how can you predict how can you estimate like data or, or estimate the functions behind data basically um and it's the kind of thing where you learn the math once and then you ignore it and you just use the library the programming library <laughs> so you have to learn the math and, and, and the math is hard because there are like you know 10 different variables you have to keep track of mm. um so yeah it's just it's just annoying math yep <laughs> I understand the framing of what you're saying, that there's some fundamental theory that you're learning. Uh, you lost me real early on. Uh, <laughs> Gaussian mean and variance and expectation maximization. Can you can you break those down for me? Uh, I will try in a non-boring way. So yeah, okay. so Gaussians are, so, so uh, Gaussian is like a normal distribution. So, yes, okay. Yeah, so you have a mean and a, a standard deviation for your normal distribution. Oh, yes, you, you can define, you can define a, a normally distributed curve based on where the middle is and what the standard distribution is and just based on those two numbers you can you can define the shape of what that normal distribution looks like yes okay I'm yep. with you. okay all right and now say you have like say two variables two is mm -hmm. more than one right so we're talking about multi multiple variables so you have two variables and you want to find the mean and standard deviation for these two variables that you have so you don't on. know what the i have i the two variables are not mean and standard deviation Correct. Each each of the two variables each have their own mean and standard deviation. Yes. Okay. These both of these two variables have their own Gaussian standard distribution curve, and I'm trying yes. to figure out the mean and standard deviation for each of those two variables. Yes. Okay. Are um, they they're they're correlated? Nope. Okay. And then you start getting in data. Okay. Yeah. And that's basically the problem. Okay. So for for these for these two variables. I can make a guess as to what their mean and standard distribution are. So I'm I'm guessing four numbers and I'm getting back one input of like how close I am to guessing it correctly. No, no, you're getting the values from like a so say um you're getting values that have been pulled from the distribution. So like and I said they're not correlated. Actually they can be correlated. Uh you get something called a uh the the correlation the, the covariance which is the correlation basically mm -hmm. um and then the precision matrix which is the inverse of that um so you know that also or you can find that okay yeah no but you just start getting values like negative one one and negative two three and you know five seven and okay so you and what, what are these what are these values telling me they're they're values pulled from the distribution so they're um okay it's like data you know it's like yeah you're observing these data points from the underlying distribution. Okay, so I'm I'm doing a random. Oh, I forgot what this is called. Like a, a Monte Carlo simulation, where like I'm just random like throwing. Or... Okay, I'm I'm yeah. random sampling for both of these two variables. Give me your value at this number, and then I I get back the values for each of them. And now, based on based on those based on the input, and the based on the input of what my I don't know y uh, value was, or I guess x. I'm I'm inputting x. And both of those two variables are returning y, and now I'm plotting those two y variables to try to figure out what's the random distribution, what's what's the what's the standard distribution for each of those variables, and then from that I can derive the mean and uh, standard deviation. Uh, close enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, why do why do you care about <laughs> these things? Uh, because in the real world uh, you have data, and you want to sort of fit a function to this the, the data that you have. Um, okay. so that you can estimate something in the future. So say you have like prices for something and you get a bunch of prices and you're like, what's the price going to be in the future? Yes. Um, then you can find a function to estimate the price. Okay. This is just a tool in your toolkit 
to be able to say I, I have a huge data set assume it's random it's a it's a standard deviation a, a, a gaussian distribution uh run your function to figure out what the mean and standard deviation are to to fit this to a, a gaussian distribution yep cool neat all right yeah I, I can totally see how that would be something that like you learn the theory behind and then you never need to use it again you just use the the function that's already built uh that's cool though it's like a, a little helper function in a math library. Uh, neat. It, I, uh, also, you, you showed me some of your LaTeX papers that you're doing your homework in, and like, man, it's beautiful. I have no idea what it means. And there's there's gamma uh, symbols that I've never seen in math before. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see why you would say it's dry, but uh, yeah. yeah. For, if it makes you feel better, I hardly have any idea what it means either. So. <laughs> You're able to explain it pretty well. Uh, cool. What did you get up to this last week? Give me a give me an update on Acorn Chat. What what yeah. is the week's project? Yeah. So for the SaaS stuff this week, the non-dry stuff. We we should lead with the non-dry stuff instead of all the boring <laughs> stuff. Sorry, everybody. Um, yeah. So I am very close to submitting to the Slack App Store with Acorn Chat. Um, it is functionally complete. Uh, it does what it says it does. So that's good. Uh, people can sign up and they can pay for it and it all technically works now so um, people can just go to acorn chat and you know add it to slack and and get it working um, the thing i want to do next is add it to the slack app store because that's mm -hmm. where people are actually searching for this kind of stuff um, i i think last time i talked about the pretty long checklist maybe i didn't there's a pretty long checklist of things you have to do to get it added to the slack app store um, including stuff like for every permission you ask for you have to have a reason why and there's like 20 or 30 permissions that I ask for, you know, like Oof. I have to, I want to read the users. I want to be able to write to a channel. I want to be able to make channels. I want to be able to, yeah. So you have to define a reason for each one of those. Um, and then you need like screenshots. Well, I, technically you don't need screenshots or a video, but I want screenshots in a video because like basically the more full your marketplace, you know, uh, listing is the better it looks to people um and you can so i sort of went on there to look at what other people's you know marketplace listings look like and you can feel that even just looking at them just go look at 20 of them and you're the ones with screenshots and videos you're drawn to way more mm -hmm. um so basically the better the screenshots are like it hardly matters what your text is as long as your screenshots are really good mm -hmm. so uh yeah so i'm doing that yeah and then i think i have most of the legal stuff out of the way so you need like a privacy policy in terms of conditions and support whatever mm -hmm. I think I have most of that all done. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty close. The big downside is uh, the Slack documentation says it can take four to six weeks to get into the Slack app store. Oof. So yeah, it's like if you thought Apple's three days was bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'll just submit it and see. Um, I mean, people can sign up for it without it being in the app store. So yeah, I'm close. Yeah. Microcrop growth is in uh, four days. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, if it's if it's submitted and feature complete, like I feel like you've achieved your goal of uh, wanting to get this done before yeah, I think so. Microcon, yeah. uh, and it only took I don't know a month and a half when <laughs> each of us were initially like mentally thinking that that these two projects were going to be like I don't know two or three days and uh, <laughs> in in like an ADHD fueled uh, manic bender like okay right. maybe. Uh, but then we <laughs> wouldn't wanted to touch this for months. Um, so cool. This, you know, we, we were both able to tackle this really big chunk of work in each of our lives. Uh, I'll get into mine later, but like, you know, get it reasonably done before microconf and feels really good. Um, good job. Well done. Did a, did a lot of work. You're, you're getting it done. Uh, a few things you said that I'd love to dig into. The screenshots and video, we, we had a conversation about this this last week when you were working on it as part of your co-working palms, but uh, I had the realization that like screenshots and video are really effective marketing. That's like a differentiating factor. If you have two products that are identical and one of them has really good screenshots and a video and the other one doesn't, but otherwise they're exactly the same. The first one is going to do so much better because it, you're, you're seeing so much more of what it does. And like, of course, I'm going to install that one instead because I can see what it does. So like you, you had a few really fun palms from my perspective because like you'd be like, oh, I need a screenshot that does this sort of thing. And I'm not quite sure what to do. And I'd be like, ah, what if you did one that was like this and had this thing on the right side and this one on the left <laughs> side? And you're like, oh, OK, I, I could see that. And then 25 minutes later, like you had it done. And I was like, ah, cool. <laughs> I, I, 
uh, I did none of that work, but I offered a suggestion that was helpful, and uh, then the the thing was made afterwards. Uh, but like, I think the realization I had was making a screenshot is not technical work, and I I think I have this bias of that I don't enjoy marketing, but making screenshots is marketing, and I enjoyed the concept of coming up with how to illustrate a concept succinctly in a screenshot. Uh, so that's the type of marketing that I like. Uh, cool. Uh, have, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the, the screenshots and video and stuff? Yeah, it's just like you said, it's, you know, it's a really big differentiating factor, especially when there's 20 of the same things. Um, and, and they're a lot, they're hard work, actually. Um, mm -hmm. Like even after I did, so yeah, I like and screenshots are not just like a screenshot of your thing, you know, for the Slack app store, they're mostly like, a screenshot of your thing with like text on the bottom and a nice gradient and you got to do yeah. all that, you know, to make it look nice. And I am, I am, uh, 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 I can do design sort of, but I know what I want to do and it's hard for me to do it. So it's like the Ira Glass quote where you're like, I know where I want to get to. And I, my skills aren't quite that good. Yeah, and so it's yeah. very frustrating because I'm like, I, I know what I want it to look like and I can't make it look like that. Yeah. And so I just do my best basically. So um, at some point, if this starts making actual money, then I suppose that's when you hire a designer to like redo your screenshots and actually make them look really good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think I came up with some that are, are relatively, relatively good. And a lot of, um, especially the competitors to the, what I'm building don't have screenshots at all. And so mm. any screenshot will be better than, will be better than none. So yeah, I think I feel pretty good about where they ended up, even though, it was frustrating kind of getting there. Sweet. Yeah. And from, from what you've been telling me, this is not, I, I, I hate Slack, so <laughs> I'm not in your target market. <laughs> uh, but from what I know about this problem space, from what you've been telling me, like your product is at least as good, if not better in every dimension as the other existing things on the Slack app store to do this. So if you're hitting the Slack app store with the best marketing as defined by you have the best screenshots and it's a, it's an app store. So you don't like like the game of seo is really straightforward it's a it's a very simplified search engine uh and are there ads can you do paid ads on the slack app store you know i don't know about that i know you could i mean you could run google ads for example that goes straight to your slack app store like listing or whatever okay. um also i i will say the my features will hopefully be as good as everyone else's uh right now mine is a simple simple version which there are simple mm. versions on there too but like i know you know the next 10 things i want to do um, sure which are basically going to make it feature complete with some of the other competitors out there but uh yeah hopefully it works i mean it works and and yeah so yeah. well sim simple can also be a differentiating factor that can be a competitive yeah. advantage if if you're if you have a thing that with a one-click install automatically does the one happy path that a, a certain type of person wants to do like you win you have a better product even though it, it doesn't have as many features this is oh i'm reminded of uh chris gamer's snappa mm -hmm. it's a web-based Photoshop that only has the features that you need to make social media graphics. Right. And last I checked, which was like a year and a half ago, I think he's published this, so I think it's okay to say, I, his MRR, no, his, his YRR was over a million dollars. And his product is Photoshop without all the features you don't need <laughs> right? that, that runs in a browser. Um, so like, uh, that that you don't you don't need to be feature complete if if the the core thing to be focusing on is like who is this for what is their problem solve the problem as quickly as possible and if you go off track with that you're you're muddying the waters you're you can you can implement features that are too much i'm i'm really cautious of that in file inbox right now because I'm at the point now where, like, this is a mature product. This has been going on for seven years. And, like, I have uh, eight years, actually. I, I have eight years of feature requests and things that are built up. And uh, I'm trying as hard as I can to be doing more customer interviews to, like, get me more centered and focused on, like, okay, this is the person I'm helping. But uh, for some reason, that's not going through. I, like, have the system with Rachel set up. But and anyway, that, that's the thing I think I need to be honing my focus to make sure that, like, I'm staying on this track of that I'm not getting lost in all these side projects of, like, ah, let me make a thing to automatically edit videos. Okay, well, that's probably not a thing I need to do. That's probably outside the scope of File Inbox. Um, so, yeah, uh, equally important part of SaaS is, like, making sure that features don't make it into it. So uh, I'm, I'm hearing the way you're describing that, like, it's not quite feature complete with the other products on the uh, Slack App Store as... Uh, that, that you're seeing that as like a, a disadvantage or a, uh, 
inadequacy, and uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true. That said, I don't know a lot about the space. I don't use Slack, uh, so <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I think to to get it to where the price points where I want it, I think I'm going to need more features. Is basically what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. I, I don't need. I've already identified a whole bunch of features I don't want to build into it. So like, there's all these enterprise level like multi team features that I just mm. don't want to do at all. Like, I don't want to do enterprise sales with this. This is like a you know, like it's on my marketing website it talks about bootstrappers or i think startup like startup or small teams mm -hmm. like it has those words and so yeah this is not so i've already like removed all of the enterprise features that that you know like intercom for example has cool. um yeah good so it's yeah, focusing you, you know who your uh who your users are you can yeah that, that gives you more focus you can deliver to them a, a better product um circling back to the the idea i was trying to express before like your product is great for a bootstrapper uh you have your feature complete with what they need and if you can come to the slack app store which is this very level playing field especially if there aren't any paid ads with the best marketing you have some screenshots and you have some videos uh i, I feel really optimistic about that if like for the, the there's probably people coming to the slack app store every day looking for something like this and if you can become the best option by just having screenshots on it and having a product that's uh, a, a good product, uh, that that seems like it would sort of just take care of marketing. Uh, so I'm I'm optimistic for you. This is very exciting. Yeah, uh, which is why I wanted to do it as an experiment because yes, those are that's my uh, that is that is my analysis as well. So hopefully that pans out. Uh, yeah. we'll find out in four to six weeks, I guess. <laughs> Man, six weeks. What are they doing? I, <laughs> I think they're just understaffed. I guess they they say on there something. It says like something like due due to high demand or something. It might take up to four to six weeks. It's oh. just like now. Hopefully, it comes back in a week. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I, this this is a version of the moat. I guess like getting once you're in the Slack app store, you kind of want it to be as painful as possible to for other people to get in the Slack sure. app store, um, which is gross from a economic perspective you want like a fair market and things but uh good for you for making money and stuff uh i was gonna ask you something else and i don't remember about slack it might come to me uh acorn share you were doing yeah about kaggle okay. oh yeah we can talk about kaggle no i was gonna ask you something else about the acorn chat uh it's gone oh well all right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Kaggle, before the episode, you said, you said you had done the thing that you said last episode that you totally weren't going to do. Um, tell me about this new uh, AI project. Yeah, so I said I wasn't going to start another Kaggle competition until after MicroConf. Um, and then a new one came up, and it was very similar to the one I just uh, did. So I was like, oh, mm. I have a bunch of code that can basically do this. Let me just try it. And so mm. now I'm in another Kaggle competition. All right. Um, and this one is kind of interesting, actually, and I, I'm not sure I feel about it. Um, so this is what it is. It's from the U.S. Patent Office, uh, I think, uh, or it's about patents anyway. And it's uh, textual s uh, similarity. So like if um, it, based on a category. So for example, if you say a strong material and then you have steel as an example, um, then that, you know, for construction is very similar. But if you say a strong material and then you say similar for like textiles, mm -hmm. then you want that to rank lower because you're not going to have like steel being a textile material. Mm -hmm. That may be a bad example, but basically the same words or group of words can be similar or not similar based on the category that they're in. Okay. And the reason that they're doing this is because like, so when a patent application comes in, they want to pull up all the patents that are similar in any way to it. And then the patent officer reads through all of them to make sure that the new thing isn't already patented, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so a better, you know, AI-based way of pulling up these very similar phrases would, would help with that. My, my sort of consternation comes because I kind of, I really hate software patents. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like morally <laughs> opposed to them. Same. Um, and at the same time, I, I recognize how patents, especially in the past and for physical products, have been very valuable. Like, um, one of the things that the patent office does one of its main there's like two main goals one of its main goals is to provide like basically a repository of like intellectual information and so you have like all these old mechanical designs that the patent office uh you can just look up right and so anything built uh, however long ago 20 years i think patents last or before like you have very detailed specs for for those 
um, things. And so the idea is to actually not, it's to give people a monopoly on it for 20 years. And then after that, it's in public domain, right? Anyone can mm -hmm. use the things. And so from that, that perspective, like I totally recognize that as being good. So what do you do for a, a contest that is going to uh, help in some ways, but also uh, like I'm very opposed to software patents. And so, and so is going to, you know, potentially make it easier for people to get those. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Is there a way you could like sabotage your algorithm specifically <laughs> for terms related to software? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I feel similarly to you from a moral and also sort of logistical perspective on software patents. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me that you can patent something like... Oh, what, there was a famous case. Apple and Samsung have been just like at each other's throats for the last two decades. Uh, that one was like rounded corners, I think. It was, was like it? rounded corners on a phone, basically. That's so dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then and then Samsung had to make like asymmetric rounded corners on their phone. Like like the top Something. radius was different than the bottom radius. Yeah, stupid. And like double clicking and like the buy now button and like, uh, yeah, I just don't, I just don't like it. There's... There's a novel by Neil Stevenson called The Diamond Age that paints this utopian uh, and dystopian picture of the future of, like, there's just open models for everything. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering the details now. I think I think there's, like, a marketplace where you can download things. No, the, the designs are free, and you just pay for the material that it costs to print it. So it's, it's as if everyone has a 3D printer in their house. And if you want a couch, you just hit print on the couch and you're only charged for the, the uh, feed, I think they call it. It's just like feeding you uh, protons of the right type. Um, and then it assembles the couch. And uh, But I, I don't think you have to pay for the, the actual design of it. And what this makes is this world where like, it's so, um, what's the word for it? You can you can like build and remix and you can do a bunch of stuff off of what other people are doing and like you, you advance so much quicker. China, I feel like is really good at this. I've, uh, YouTube videos of documentaries of uh, like Shenzhen, China. There's these beautiful marketplaces where it's like they, they, you know, all these cell phone parts and people are mixing and matching and doing stuff and copying each other. And like, that's the culture of it. You, you copy what other people are doing and you make it better. Um, and I think if you can make that system viable economically, like if there's still a way for creative people to make money, that makes development go so much faster. You're, you're able to get to a much better spot that much quicker. I have this thought sometimes when I'm working on file inbox and I come up with like a particularly good design for something. Cause I'll think like, oh man, this would really benefit other people if I publish this library uh, to like interact with Firebase. But that's reducing my moat. So I kind of don't want to do that. <laughs> it's it, yeah, I, I I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I understand that that was a one to one thing with like ah, we have a business and the business makes things, and you protect the business's things with patents, and that makes sense when you're making shoes and cars. And oh, now we have this new type of business that makes software, so we'll apply the same model. But it doesn't quite fit anymore because the yeah, the design. I don't know. It's like the the process is this uh, software, software. It's all running on silicon, and it could be going so much faster if if you were untethered to it. And if you're doing something with steel, like the process is something that's patentable, and that's something you've invented. But I don't know. It it rubs me the wrong way. And also, as a consumer, I would like things to be going faster. But then, as a person making software, I would also like my things to be protected, and I'd like to make money. And yeah, it's complicated. I don't I don't have a good solution. <laughs> yeah. What one reason I think as you were talking about that i thought about the distinction between so like pharmaceutical patents and software patents this is mm. a big one that's brought up a lot of times so to develop a new drug costs you know what a billion dollars or something mm -hmm. but once it's developed once it goes through all the trials and once it you know chemistry is developed and all that stuff uh any company can take one of those pills put it under their you know put it in their like microscope or not, or their you know what electron scanning microscope whatever mm -hmm. uh or not that's not the right thing anyway they can figure out exactly what it's made of and then they can replicate that for you know pennies like you know fractions of a penny yeah, yeah um and so there that's like that's like having software where the code is like one line long and mm. if you can figure out that line then you can replicate it for free whereas mm. like other software like the thing that makes apple valuable is not its rounded corners on its phone right. <laughs> um and so those are the patents that just drive me nuts um patents like for you know drugs like 
you know, without the ability to patent drugs, it makes way less sense for drug companies to spend a billion dollars on a new drug because yeah. they're going to get ripped off immediately. Yeah. Um, unless they have a way to, you know, give themselves monopoly for 20 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you're right as a consumer, like it really stinks that we can't, that we have thousand dollar drugs or hundred thousand dollar drugs instead yeah. of, you know, drugs for pennies. Um, so yeah, I think there is a delicate kind of balance there. I just think it's gone too far with the, like, yeah, Amazon having one click and no one else having one click is not what makes Amazon successful. And so yeah. it drives me nuts that you can patent that. Yeah. And I suppose as a consumer, I would rather have a $1,000 drug than no drug. And completely getting rid of drug patents would make it so that there are no drugs instead of $1,000 drugs. And maybe Amazon being able to patent the one-click order makes it so that Amazon exists instead of having no Amazon. So I'd, I'd prefer that. Hmm. Well, to your actual question, I think my feeling is, my understanding of the patent office right now is that it's very inefficient. Mm-hmm. And it, you're just, man, I would not want to be a patent officer. That just sounds terrible. Uh, like, no one is thanking you for doing a good job at the patent office. It's, it's either like you were too broad or not broad enough uh, with different people angry at you for each level of the direction. So if you're making tools to make people at the patent office more effective at their job, I would think that that would then speed up that engine to get to a better place faster. Like, this is a wave that, you know, this is a question society has about what the heck are we supposed to do about software patents. Um, So, uh, in in the ideal case, you know, you make something that speeds up the the job of people at the patent office by 10%. They're now able to get through 10% more uh, patents in the same amount of time. I think that math makes sense. Uh, (laughs) And maybe then you know if if we're getting that many patents through that's going to speed us along to the inevitable uh facing the the consequence of this like (laughs) well maybe the model's kind of broken and like we just we just made this many more patents and we're having this many more cases of uh things going badly and now that's making this critical mass of this problem is that much bigger that much faster so we get to the point where it's resolved that much faster um like the concept of the patent office i don't think is fundamentally broken. I think it just needs to be better <laughs> in a way I can't describe. Uh, right. So if you're if you're making tools to make them more effective, like the corollary of this, if if you if you had a lever on your desk that was like, ah, I'm gonna make people at the patent office this much less effective at doing their work. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw sand right. in their gears. Like I bad. think that would be worse. I think that would that would lead to a better spot slower. So I. I think from that lens, you can feel good about making their jobs more effective, even though it's, in the case of software patents, not like directly uh, making the world better, but you're you're increasing the speed at which it will get better. Yeah, that's. I think that's where I have fallen as well on this. So yeah, it's just it. It's just interesting because yeah, with with I mean with all software, but especially now that I'm seeing all these use cases on Kaggle, like. Uh, like machine learning is very powerful like just like software is very powerful and it can be used for good as well as as bad and so uh yeah you just have to be a little careful i think about what you about what you do yeah Yeah. what an interesting philosophical question like imagine imagine you're able to write an ai algorithm that replaces the job of everyone at the patent office and you can just you can just like you know you take his input the patent application and you immediately have output like yes or no approved or not and, and why uh i imagine a lot more patents would get made really quickly because then the cost is also going to go down yep and then we're going to get confronted with this problem that much sooner like oh, what the heck are we supposed to do in a world where you can just patent everything and you can have you know at that point you you have algorithms to automatically generate patents uh if they cost like a dollar yep. each or something uh yeah we need to figure this out yep there's yeah. actually there's two two thing interesting things that have happened recently. One is, I think it's cop- I think it was copyright, not patent, but the some court in the U.S. just ruled that an AI could not copyright something. I think it's copyright, not patent. Hmm. Um, that that had to have a human copywriter. Um, uh, I, I now now I'm, now I gotta look this up. We'll, we'll post it in the show notes maybe. But um, yeah, because they were they were uh, one of the worries is that yeah you have computers just infinitely generate stuff and copyright it um mm-hmm. and then like that leaves no room for actual like 
creative work if you just have infinite you know copyrighted works yeah um, interesting and then the other thing that's interesting about ai being powerful is there was a new story recently where they were creating an algorithm to come up with um the best the basically the best chemicals you you can create so non-toxic chemicals that f that uh, have some properties um, which sounds really good right you want chemicals that are not toxic to so you can build with them or whatever mm -hmm. um, and then in the algorithm they flipped a sign from positive to negative and they created the most toxic chemicals that the SAI could generate <laughs> oh, including no. VX nerve gas came out and oh, a whole no. bunch of other and a whole bunch of worse things came out um, <laughs> oh no and uh and most ai is like that <laughs> if you're optimizing something you can flip a sign and exactly negatively optimize it yeah and so yeah um so that happened recently and spawned a bunch of you know things like a bunch of discussion about how the same ai could uh uh create very 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 nasty things if you just flip a sign so um I'm reminded of a quote yeah. from my favorite controversial public figure jordan peterson he he has this analogy that uh for for your branches to extend into heaven your roots need to reach into hell which i think is him quoting alexander solzhenitsyn the art author of the gulag archipelago but i'm not sure about that the, the idea being like if you build a machine that's smart enough to develop the safest things it kind of also has to be able to understand what not safe things are and would also be capable of making the least safe things which is exactly what this example was yeah that's that's the that's technology right if, if you have if you invent fire it's an incredibly powerful thing of being able to release energy you have also unlocked the ability to burn things down uh with with incredible with more creative power comes more destructive power uh and that's that's what it's like to be human um i was reminded also of a case i think it's called all the music uh as a project someone involved in that they're a musician and they're also a, a copyright or patent attorney or something and they were like, this is ridiculous that musicians keep suing each other for uh, the melodies being the same because mm, yeah. there is a finite number of melodies. <laughs> like, they're, especially for the, for the melodies that people are, uh, uh, like the way that they're suing each other about them. So he started this project called All the Music that is every possible melody in the major and minor scales of the Western, uh, I don't know enough music terms. Whatever the Western chord progression, the, the something, notes, something yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, he he uh, he just made all of them, and so it starts off like you know, uh, one 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 one. It's like it's <laughs> right. whatever. Uh, I think I think he does it for eight or or ten uh, different notes, and then it goes one 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 two one 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 three, and then you can transpose that into any chord. So yeah. you know that might be like a b a c, um, and within this corpus of music is every possible song uh and he like burned it to a cd because <laughs> something about patent law like to be able to patent the song it has to be in a physical medium and uh and he published it like under his name and said all right i've published every song so anyone who makes any new melody uh i'm gonna sue you <laughs> and we'll, yeah. we'll just see what happens uh and he gave a ted talk about it it's really interesting i made a website where you can browse all of the melodies in all the oh, music and lovely. i don't remember what that url is but i will include it in the show notes uh when you have so many projects that you don't even remember the projects <laughs> <laughs> i think it's i'll i'll link it in the show notes right. uh yeah I, <laughs> when i first started about it i was like what a cool idea this is i think uh two years ago and just like manically banged this out and you can you can hear them uh it's there's no timing because i think part of the way that the law works is that the the timing of notes doesn't matter it's just like the <laughs> pattern of the melody yeah. or something um yeah. Anyway, uh, I remembered also thing that I forgot earlier. You mentioned Ira Glass's The Gap. Uh, yeah. I, I will also include that in the show notes. Uh, this fantastic idea of like your taste. If your taste is higher than your ability, that's painful. If you're if you really appreciate art, like like paintings, and uh, that inspires you to want to get into art, you're going to be a terrible artist to start off with, and that's going to be especially painful for you because you have a much higher taste. Like you, you know exactly how bad the thing that you're doing is. Uh, so Ira Glass calls that the gap between your uh, ability and your taste. But if you can push through that gap, your, your gap is like a force pulling you up. So like your ceiling is higher than people who have worse taste, even though people with worse taste, it's easier for them to start. Um, but like you're, you're going to keep pulling yourself up to like, well, you know, the, the work I'm doing is still not up to my standards. Uh, so I don't remember in what context you brought that up in, but uh, that's that's what the gap is. It's a that was with me doing for. design. Like ah, uh, yeah. that's right, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wanted to say also, 
why not hire a designer? That's a good question. Partly a time issue. Like I want to get this done quickly and yeah. a designer probably takes you know, a couple of weeks back and forth. Um, probably because of money. I want to make sure this makes any money before I spend <laughs> any more money on it. Sure. Um, those are basically the two reasons. Yeah. Okay. Well, going from like the jump from no screenshots to screenshots, I think is pretty big. So even if yeah. like, yeah, do them badly and then see where that goes. And yeah. then that's an obvious place to invest in marketing. Yeah. The other is that as I add more features, I know which features I'm going to add. I know I'm going to want screenshots for them. So like these are sort of temporary anyway. Like yeah. I know in two months they're going to be out of date. So I don't want to, you know, spend a couple thousand dollars on screenshots that are going to be out of date in two months. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Bang them out. Cool. Makes sense. Uh, cool. Let's, let's talk about my stuff. Yeah. Uh, this last week in file inbox, I worked for nine hours and 25 minutes. We co-worked for nine hours and nine minutes and I'm confused why that's not a multiple of 25. <laughs> I didn't look at that. Yeah, uh, I think there was a time when my timer didn't go off. Mm. So we ended up working a little longer anyway. Uh, and it was great. Got so much done. I, the, if, if I can summarize the last week of work, it was finishing off the ability to record stuff and then, and, and submit the uh, response to the form. And then on the user side, being able to see a list of all the responses and I do some cool stuff with like, I'm getting the uh, user agent and parsing that into an operating system and browser. So I can tell you for reach uploader, what type of computer they're using. And I also get the, the IP information and the geolocation so I can tell you where they were. So that's kind of cool. And, uh, oh, just, I'm, I'm really, uh, it's a really good interface. It's really good. <laughs> and, uh, you can download files. So like I, I've achieved the basic functionality in the, in the same way that you have for, uh, Acorn chat, which feels really good. What doesn't feel good is it's really buggy and there's just so <laughs> many, man, there, there were like two days last week where I was basically, uh, it wasn't two days. There, there were like three palms in a row where I was focused entirely on the edge cases around local storage because I was writing a null value and then I was checking if the null value existed, but if it's null, it's also false. And the, the life cycle events, there were like race conditions and it was just a, oh man, it was awful. But I, I like to get to the point where it's functional, I've, I've traded some technical debt to be able to get there. Uh, so now no surface level changes are happening. So it's not quite as exciting every update I have with you. Uh, cause I don't get to like show you a new thing that this does. Uh, most of my updates for the last couple of days have just been like, well, this edge case isn't as big of a problem anymore. <laughs> and like, yeah. I wrote some tests for this thing that's still broken, but I'm closer to, to being able to understand it. Uh, so I, there, there was a day last week, like Friday, I, I felt kind of burned out. Um, and I had a little RSI in my, uh, right index finger and it like got sore. So I, I made a point of, uh, trying to rest that, uh, afterwards, but, uh, came back at it Monday and I'm excited about it again. And, uh, instead of, I, I, I kind of found it fun to solve these bugs in the order I was interested in solving them as opposed to the most important bugs. And I have like a week before I actually need to. Uh, get this done and, and have it shipped for my friend Brian um, and before microcom. So like, I, I feel like I can be a little relaxed with the order I'm doing them in. So like today I, I really enjoyed digging into uh, the Firebase emulator for cloud functions. And I'm going to write like a, a ironclad test engine so that I can uh, make really rock solid uh, Firebase cloud functions. And uh, I'm going to try to make the job for my future self trying to debug issues on this as easy as possible that he'll just be able to like you know as bugs come up he writes a new test case and then fixes the thing and then runs the test case again and sees ah oh, it actually broke this other test case and fixes that and then ships it and I, I, i'll be able to feel really good about the solidity of this app uh it's just kind of slow going it's it's much more methodical it's less less creative and more just like well this thing works 90% of the time, but if I like do it and then undo it and then redo it and then undo it and then redo it in this way, then it breaks. <laughs> right. So let's fix that. Uh, yeah, that's that's how this last week was. Uh, Martian there, not quite as exciting, but uh, we're, we're paying down technical debt. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it's important that it works, especially like um, we've talked a lot about how we want to try to get this into the hands of people quickly. Um, but I think like it's it's, 
fine for you to be spending all this time now because like you have the first person and you know exactly what use case is going to use it for mm -hmm. so you really want it to work pretty well for him so mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's not like you're it's not like you're building things you know with some vague idea of what might happen like you know what he's going to use it for so mm -hmm. like make sure it works for that use case um yeah i think that's i think that's fine and by the end of this week you'll have a a bug-free version of a file uploading right <laughs> so oh. is that the goal <laughs> the dream yeah <laughs> it only took me what like two months to get here <laughs> yeah well. i thought it was gonna take like two days yeah it feels really good though like i'm really enjoying it it's it's a nice amount of structure in my life i'm every week i know like well at minimum i'm gonna be pushing this project forward and then you know it's it's like noon 30 ish and i've done my work for file inbox for the day and the rest of that is just kind of like gravy and i get to play on other projects and i get to work out and uh hang out with people and i i can feel good about the work that i did as opposed to like for the whole day just kind of feeling this baseline anxiety like oh well i really should be working more in file inbox uh no the rule is i work for it on four, for four palms and then i get to do whatever i want that's a really good deal with myself that's a deal that i can be happy with uh yeah again reiterating just like this framework has unlocked a lot of really good things for me and i'm enjoying doing it with you uh you're, you're working on cool stuff too it's like like the uh like the screenshots it's fun like i, I get a free little dopamine hit of like ah, <laughs> right. oh, i did my thing and oh also chris did this thing <laughs> i didn't have to do any work for uh, the thing chris did um yeah it, it's working out really well um cool i would love to dig in a little bit more with you on rsi uh is that a thing repetitive stress injury or strain injury oh yeah. i asked you before the podcast now i don't remember uh you, you is said, that a thing you've you experienced said it was yeah, you said it was strain. I think I think it's stress or strain. I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyway. yes, yeah, <laughs> I've experienced. My wife, my wife has experienced it too before. I think basically anyone who works at a desk on a computer for long periods of time will eventually experience it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it can be really, really annoying. Um, and the kind of the rough thing that I've learned is like there's no one cause or fix um, mm -hmm. based on the injury. Like there's lots of different things ways it can go. Um, the only bad thing you can do is ignore it though because if you ignore it then eventually it turns into things that you need surgery for um, whereas yeah. if you catch it before you can do things like like rest it and use braces and stuff like that so yeah mm -hmm. um, in my particular case um, uh, a uh, a wrist brace helps a lot sometimes you know, like if I'm really feeling it um, also just sleeping in the wrist brace can help a lot um, mm. they sell I have both hard and soft wrist braces and sleeping in the soft one sometimes can alleviate it um, so that's good. The other thing that I'll say is that even if you're feeling it in your fingers or wrist, um, it can be all the way up to your shoulder or back. Like mm. look online for like, like it, for example, one of the things that I feel sometimes is, I can't remember. I think it's the last three fingers falling asleep or something like that. Anyway, that's like a problem with a nerve all the way in your shoulder. And oh. so there's shoulder exercises because, you know, that same nerve goes all the way to your, your spine, right? And so sure. any place along where it pinches can be the problem. Mm. And so there's specific exercises called flossing, actually, because it's like running your nerve back and forth through yeah. the thing um, that, that help with that. And so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I also have elbow and shoulder braces that I have to wear sometimes. So, yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. You're, you're much deeper into this than me. I didn't know that uh, sleeping in the brace would be helpful. Um, that's interesting, too. And that makes a lot of sense that I, I've had that uh, experience before where, like, the, the bottom three fingers on one of my hands will, will fall asleep. Uh, and I was always curious about that. Yeah, I'll have to look up flossing. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any like exercises to do to, to fix this. For me, I, I feel it in one finger. It's my right index finger. And I think because that's the finger that uses the trackpad and that's just like most of the typing that I do is the, <laughs> the keys that my right index finger is the most responsible for. Uh, I got to start changing my variable names to like not include any of those letters. Um, and my my first line level of defense to that is I move the trackpad from the right side of my keyboard to the left side hmm. and i feel like i've had a stroke because like <laughs> yeah it's really hard like all, i have so much muscle memory in, in using my right hand on the trackpad uh but functionally it's the same thing like uh in, um, in, i have two hands and uh, there's there's no there's no reason why the trackpad should be on the right side uh so it's it's good to be ambidextrous in that way and then uh i don't i don't feel that on my left side but something that i would love to talk with you about as a creative solution to this uh, and something that comes up, I, I, I experience RSI maybe like once a year, uh, and then I usually back off of uh, doing as much work and uh, do more physical things and other movements with my hands and, and it goes away. Uh, but something that always comes up is using voice commands to mm. control your computer. Have you heard of a thing called 
Talon. T-A-L-O-N. I have not. It's magical. It's <laughs> and this is another rabbit hole for me to go down. That like yep. would be a very big distraction if I uh, if I went for it. But the uh, some of the so it's 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 a speech to text controller for your computer designed for programmers. It's not like text to speech for consumers where like on your phone you start talking and it's it's typing out sentences. Like it's a, it's a model and a language and a system designed for interacting with programming text. So there's like a, an unambiguous alphabet that's similar to the NATO alphabet, but every every letter is just one syllable. Um, and there's Python scripts that you can put in this to automatically do cool stuff. And uh, it's aware of all the names of all the curly braces and stuff. And uh, there's videos on YouTube of people doing this, and I'll include this in the show notes, where it just looks like magic. They're like they're they're speaking in this really strange language <laughs> uh it, it's like words and syllables but it's not english uh and they're and code is just appearing on the screen like as fast as you could be typing it it's amazing um so i think regardless of well what am i trying to say i think i'd like to start investing in this now before rsi is a problem because if i can if i can integrate this as just one of the other ways that i am able to interact with computers and include that now in this shuffle of like well i you know, when I started experiencing RSI, first I switched my trackpad to the left side, and then one out of every four palms, I do them with only my voice and my hands tied behind my back, or like doing <laughs> doing my flossing exercises while I'm coding. Um, that, yeah, like slowly building it up is is what I would rather be doing. Like like uh, you know, if if I was, I would rather go blind slowly, and be able to figure out how to use the assistive uh, stuff on my computer while I still had some eyesight uh, and then have that be a slow curve as opposed to like losing my eyesight in a day and all of a sudden I have no idea how to use computers anymore. Like that would, that would be devastating. Um, so this is something I think I'd like to start investing in in the long term. Uh, also, it's just cool like, <laughs> to, to be able to show people like, oh, let me just uh, code this thing real quick uh, and just start uttering these nonsense solos and a, a working program shows up on my screen. Uh, that, that would be really cool. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, that's kind of neat. I would be really interested to hear your experiences with that. Like, I'm curious, like how things like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like how, how like how does like even like tab completion and, you know, that kind of stuff work and how does, yeah. I mean, I guess you're in your editor, so that's probably the same. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'd be really interested to see how it works. Um, I think I would find it very annoying <laughs> to, to, to type like that. For uh, sure. But it's better than, you know, yeah, getting injured. So, yeah. I think it's going to be really annoying at first. Like like learning any skill, like, ah, the gap. It, uh, like, I know how right. quickly it is for me to type out something and what it feels like to just have an idea from my head effortlessly flow into the computer. And I got here from decades of interacting with computers with a, a keyboard and mouse and uh, trackpad. So, yeah, it's, it's it would be really painful and annoying at first to do it with this totally new input method. But... Uh, I think that's a thing I want to be investing in. It would, it would feel good and I would look cool doing it. I also have this fantasy of like, how cool would it be if I paired this with like VR monitors or like mm -hmm. uh, audio feedback or something. And now I'm able to, if, if I could write programs like while going out for a walk, uh, that would be really cool. Maybe like Google Glass and Google Glass is showing me the, the code or something. I don't know. Uh, but having this in my back pocket of going towards that future of being able to write write code on the go no matter what i'm doing uh i don't quite know what the the whole system would look like but this this feels much more practical than like duct taping a keyboard to my pants like <laughs> I, I would much rather be able to, to code by uh something not using my hands um, yeah vr is really interesting because yeah you can't i mean you can't type in vr uh, mm -hmm. so yeah uh, that's neat and it already has the microphone and everything as input yeah yeah exactly yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That'd be really cool. I kind of just said that, but I, I would like that to exist. Uh, cool. We talked about FileMax. We talked about RSI. I have an update for you on my home automation project. Yeah. It's going really well. And I have an architectural question for you. Um, a little summary so far. So I, uh, the way this works is you have to set up a, uh, a Zigbee hub that's the broker uh, or router. 
I forgot what it's called. It's the central source where all your devices are wirelessly talking to that one device. And while I was setting it up, I just made that my laptop, uh, which worked great until <laughs> I had to turn my laptop to sleep. Uh, and then none of my lights worked anymore. <laughs> and then, yeah, well, that was annoying. Uh, so uh, this last week on Saturday, which is my fun do anything project day, I set up a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and that was, oh, I started off trying to upgrade it because I had a working one from, from before. And I spent two hours just trying to get this updated and working. And I was running into these weird edge cases where like the, the background service wasn't working because the node version that was included with that package wasn't updated enough to be able to work with NPM. And so I, I just reinstalled everything and was able to get it working again. Uh, I really want to turn this into a series of like step-by-step -step YouTube videos of here's, here's how you do this from uh, beginning to end. But uh, that was annoying. So uh, now I'm in this position where I have a Raspberry Pi that is running... That, that has the uh, Zigbee antenna plugged into it, that has the local uh, MQTT broker on it called Mosquito, that is just this like message bus uh, that that listens for messages and can broadcast messages and handles like, if you're subscribed to different channels, you get this message and if not, other people do. And this feels like a really good bedrock to be able to build something really cool on top of it. Um, and I figured out how to get uh, uh, JavaScript to talk to this Mosquito MQTT broker. So from JavaScript now, I'm able to send and receive messages from any device on the network. So something that might look like is I have this button that is a magical uh, MQTT enabled button. And pairing for MQTT is amazing. You just, you just turn it on and it pairs. If you have on your router that automatic pairing is enabled and the device isn't currently paired to something else, as soon as I get stuff in the mail, like th this is the easiest wireless setup process I've ever gone through. You just turn it on and it, and it just works and then you, you name it and uh, it, it tells you what things you can do to interact with it. Anyway, uh, so how does, I, I how does that work if like your neighbor gets a button in the mail and turns it on? That's a good question. I think, I think to be a good MQTT citizen, you should turn off automatic pairing once you mm. have all your devices turned on. I see. Um, that's a good question though. That would get annoying. I think it also tries to pair with the thing that's closest to it. So if my neighbor, I don't actually know that though. I don't know. That, that, that's a good question. Um, you're also hilariously limited in the number of MQTT networks that you can have in a single space in the US because it's the, they narrow the range of uh, wireless uh, uh, frequencies that you can use. Mm -hmm. So I think in a single space, there's a maximum of like 12 uh, MQTT networks that you can have running at a time, huh. uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> Maybe like an apartment, in an uh, apartment complex that would that would get bad, but uh, it's it's yeah. fine for right now. Um, so, my question is, uh, I have I have a, a node script that can listen for events like a button press uh, from one of these MQTT buttons, and it can broadcast signals like "Hey, light, turn on fifty percent brightness," or "Turn off," or "Turn this RGB value." And I want to set up systems like. Uh, automatically at dusk uh turn off the the uh really blue lights and start dimming the lights and uh, make it more warm and uh if i push the button uh turn the lights off and if i push the button again and it's within this time band like uh, do it to the the preset value of of the lights and i don't quite know how to architect that like what what's the what's the framework in which i I should be handling these scenes. There, there's existing home automation things, but I don't want to do that. I want to I want to code my own thing in JavaScript because it gives me much better control. Um, I, I can do a lot more with it, but I'm, I'm just having trouble thinking of like, uh, uh, polling doesn't really make sense because I don't want to be broadcasting, you know, every five minutes, hey, reset to this color that you should be for this time. I, I almost want like a React type thing where I get the state from the network and then I have my own internal state of it and then... I am constantly publishing changes to that internal state, but only if the internal state, only if I publish a change that's actually altering the internal state, do I make the analog of a DOM update and uh, actually broadcast the signal. I'm, I'm just struggling with how to think about how to manage this complexity of, yeah, that, that, it's conceptually difficult. Yeah, so you said if the network has a different state than locally, but... Um... Can the, can the state of say a light bulb change without the your node server knowing about it? Can it? Um, maybe during a power outage or something. Yeah, if I like turned the lights off, 
if I turn the lights off at the wall, then it would. Yeah. So so, if it was if it was something like the lights got turned off at the wall, which is something I'm going to try to prevent. Um, but let's say the lights got turned off at the wall, you know, right before dusk, and then my timer script says, ah, it's dusk, time to change the state of the light bulb. Let me broadcast the signal to uh, to dim it. But the bulb was offline for that part, and then I turn on the light at the wall uh now it wouldn't have received the message to dim okay. uh which is that's an, edca- an edge case saying that aloud like I, I might be able to just assume that the internal state is always going to be the same oh another another case for this would be like if i have to restart the router now it doesn't well it can get that like when it boots up i can just get the state of everything and then make that the new internal state yeah so what i would do then is always assume that you have on your, in your node script that you have the proper state. Um, and so only push, so that's easy. Just only push the change if it's different than your internal yeah. state. Um, but then since there's these edge cases where it could be different, then just have a manual override button that flushes the state to the, the thing. So like say your thing resets and you're like, this light should be dim and it's not, then you hit the button on the wall and the node script flush, you know, force pushes all of its updates, even if it, even if it's the same. Um, that's probably what I would do. Something like that. I like that. Okay. Okay. I might be trying to make this too complicated. Sounds like it. <laughs> Without knowing the details, like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like your node script should be the source of truth for your, and all changes go through it. And if it's not, then it's an edge case. So just have a way, you know, have it like a physical button that you hit that just flushes the, all the, the state. Yeah. Okay. There's some things that I'm struggling with of like, I have a, I have a uh, MQTT button that has a dimmer on it. So that's broadcasting uh, the, a, a value from zero to hundred of how much it's turned. And that's a software value. It's not like actually physically in the button. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, if, if it knows that it's at a value of 50 and I turn it all the way to the right, like seven times, it's, it's gonna start broadcasting that it's at hundred. And then if I turn it a little bit the other way, it's gonna say like, okay, I'm at 90. Um, and I want that to be able to map to Whatever the current brightness is, I, what, whatever the whatever my software defined max brightness is of the bulb, that's the highest you can be, and then zero is the lowest you can be. So if you if you dim it with that switch, map between those two values, I might just need to spend more time with this. Yeah, I think it, the other thing I was going to say is it sounds like you're trying to make it a little bit abstract, but like you have a limited number of light bulbs in your house with a limited number of things. So just like write a bunch yeah. of statements and you know, <laughs> I think that, that's fine. Like eventually you'll like, maybe you can find some things to abstract, but like just start hard coding everything. And uh, cause you're not trying to sell this or something like it doesn't have to be abstract. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll just hard code it all, whatever. I'm, I'm doing premature optimization. You're right. Yeah. I'll just keep doing a bunch of his statements. Yeah, and then once, and then through that, I'll I'll find the abstractions that make yeah. sense. Uh, okay, okay, that's good advice. Thank you. I was I was stuck in the weeds. Yeah, I'll just keep doing if statements. Good. Uh, at at minimum, like this is such a better environment to be working in than the consumer ones that are like an app on your phone. Right. Because I, I have all of JavaScript to play with, and <laughs> there was one thing I was doing where uh, I needed to figure out the the times of things like dusk and sunrise and civil twilight and, and everything else. And uh, I have no idea how I would do that in a home automation thing, but I'm in JavaScript. So like I just searched, you know, uh, NPM library for uh, uh, times for sunrise and sunset. And there's one that just has it. You you input your Latin long and uh, uh, daytime, and it tells you all of these cool times for uh, uh, these astronomical events of where the sun is. Uh, And that's just like, I have all of the capability of JavaScript. If I wanted to have something like when I push this button, twice during this certain time of day when this other thing is like this then play this sound on the speaker or like make this other http request like um it's and then it's in javascript so i have version control and i can sync it and back it up and it it, it makes so much more sense than the the consumer stuff they're doing i think i think consumer home home automation stuff is uh impressive in what it's able to do but i'm, I'm reminded of how great coding languages are and their flexibility and, and no code is cool and I like that it's making programming more democratized, but like nothing beats a text editor, man. Text is, is so powerful and uh, expressive and uh, specific. It's, it's I, I try to pull stuff back to plain text whenever I can. Yeah, cool.
Not only if you could type that text by just sp speaking. <laughs> <laughs> if only I, I've got a I've got a gap uh, before I get there. Um, Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.